Hi, I'm JP. And I'm Adam. I've never seen Lost. I have. I'm told that it's good. I liked it. I'm told that it made sense. Sort of. But we're watching it out of order. So it definitely won't make sense. But it might still be good. Since we won't expect it to make sense, we'll still be able to appreciate each episode on its own merits as a one-hour story. Sometimes two or three. As opposed to just a fraction of an ongoing, sprawling, and increasingly complex tangle of relationships, personal stories, mysteries, mythologies, experiments, social dynamics, unnatural disasters, unanswered questions, and hot tropical hookups. Are you okay? I'm not sure. Because you lost me a little bit there at the end. Good, because I've been lost since the beginning. We're We're lost lost on Lost. Welcome, everybody, to Lost on Lost. I am Adam Busher. I'm joined, as always, by J.P. Russell. Hello. Today, we are talking about one of them, the 14th episode of season two and the 39th episode overall. Our centric character is Saeed Jara. One of them takes place on the 58th day after the crash of Oceanic 815. JP. Yes. You ready to do that recap? Yes. Hit it. Uh, one of them is about all-around hunk and Saeed the tool man Jarrah as he gets his hands dirty with a little cross-examining of some witnesses. We find out more about Saeed's troubled past, uh, and we find out that he was redeemed by American capitalism and bombs. <laughs> Uh, We are introduced to the tragic hot air balloon accident victim Henry Gale from Minnesota. Sawyer and Hugo go on an adventure to see how many species of the world's 100 poisonous frogs live down the island. My sweet baby boy John Locke struggles with his alarm clock. uh, And the writers keep finding something for Michelle Rodriguez to do. Our guest today, uh, well, actually, I'm not sure how I should introduce you, because <laughs> I know you as Finch, but that's that's not your God-given name. Our esteemed guest, how would you like to be introduced? You know, I go by everything and anything now, so however you want to. I'm going to just keep calling you Finch then. I mean, if you don't call me Finch, it'll pr- you'll probably slip up throughout this whole episode and call me that anyway, so it might get confusing if you don't. I mean, for the audience at home that didn't go to college with us, uh, we're speaking with Josh Finch Seward. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, we've known him uh, as Finch for years now, probably more than a decade for me at least, maybe longer yep. for you even, JP. Um, Finch, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. What, uh, what do you do? I am a visual effects producer, technically right now. I'm not doing anything because of COVID, but (laughs) normally I I work in visual effects and post-production for TV, occasionally films, but usually TV shows. Awesome. Uh, So did you watch Lost when it was on during its its original run? I picked it up in the second season. I think I actually watched reruns the summer after the first season aired and was like, oh, this show's pretty sweet and came to uh, school, met my well, I was friends with my roommate and he was like, dude, did you, have you heard of the show Lost? We should, we should totally watch it. It's pretty sweet. So uh, I started watching it the second season, but yeah. And then I watched it right up until the end. Okay. Very good. What, uh, what sort of stuff do you normally watch? I mean, is, is sort of the, the Lost style show kind of your jam or what, uh, what kind of things do you normally find yourself watching? Yeah, I, I watch that, you know, I, I feel like I watch all the, uh, quote unquote prestige shows. Sure. You know, snob. Yeah, because I'm a fucking hipstery uh, Hollywood douchebag type. Um, yeah, so I watch all those shows. I recently finished, finally, Mr. Robot. So yeah, dramas, things like that. I also am going through Community again, so I do like sitcoms as well, because why not? It's kind of interesting because um, Mr. Robot is heavily serialized. Having watched television with you, I know that you like serialized shows more than episodic television. Mm-hmm. But Community is sort of semi-serialized half-hour <laughs> <laughs> so it's like it's no surprise there that the, that's also in your wheelhouse yeah i'm trying to think do i watch like a half hour comedy that it, no not really I like say, yeah you're a fan of the good place too um yep all those half hour sitcoms are all pretty heavily serialized week to week storytelling so yeah i like serialized stuff okay <laughs> Very good. Uh, you want to get into it? Might Let's as well. get into it. Let's get into it. Let's do it. Um, one of them originally aired on February 15th, 2006. It was written by Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse and directed by Stephen Williams. We got like the big three of Lost at the helm <laughs> of this episode. I've talked about Stephen Williams before. He started out just directing a little bit here and there. He went on to become a co-executive producer of the show, directing, I think, 20-something episodes, maybe more. Yeah, it was a lot. And then, of course, Damon Lindelof, the co-creator, along with J.J. Abrams and, uh, and that other dude, whoever he was. <laughs> 
Uh, and then Carlton Cuse, of course, coming on a little bit later, one of Damon's primary writing partners on Lost. Lindelof wrote a few episodes without Carlton, but I think almost every episode Carlton wrote, he wrote with Damon Lindelof. So, I mean, we got we got some Lost heavy hitters here mm-hmm. to make up the creative team to get us going. And it shows. I was just about to say the same thing. Compared yeah. to the, what we've had to suffer through the last couple of this <laughs> episodes of this podcast. Yeah, this is... Uh... I, we we briefly touched on this before we started recording, but just getting done with this, I, I quickly just went into the other room and was telling my girlfriend, I'm like, damn, this was a really good episode of the show. And it's, it's easy to see where when you have episodes that are sort of this strong, even as just like an independent story, you can see how easy it is to get sucked into a show like this. Mm-hmm, exactly. Just picking it up randomly. You could just turn on this episode and be like, what the hell is this show about? Yeah, I'm going to watch this. Yeah. Saeed became a fan favorite pretty early in the show. And you can see here in season two, and it's like, yeah, okay, they're leaning into it. It's like, we're going to give him some real uh, meaty, deep, kind of like backstory and like heavy dark shit that his psyche is <laughs> wrapped up in yeah. and it's just like <laughs> and he's such a good looking man he is handsome for sure oh yeah definitely <laughs> i i should have googled this ahead of time but is he going on to do anything else uh he's been in a handful of things since um i think a, what most people would recognize him from outside of loss is maybe the english patient he played uh, kip mm. in that um otherwise he uh, he was in planet terror uh, half of the grindhouse thing. Yeah, that's unfortunate because like there's a lot of moments and we'll get into this where he's doing some pretty intense emotional acting and he's he's pulling it off perfectly and uh, he should be in more stuff. Well, because that's right in the middle of his big emotional art with him and I don't know, JP, you're you're watching this all for the first time, right? Yes, and out of order. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, did you do you watch the last time on type things going no, into each episode? No, I specifically don't, so I'm more oh, in the dark. Okay. I know that his his pretty blonde girlfriend got fucking iced at some point. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so like this is kind of dealing with that emotionally and stuff, but I, it doesn't come up too like it's not like a, a point they make to say like, "Oh, he's acting like this because of this in the episode," but it's kind of a lot of it is some of the fallout from that, I'm sure. So, yeah. Uh, it looks like he uh, he's done a pretty decent chunk of uh, television since Lost, um, but not a lot of film work. Uh, it looks like he was in Sense Eight, did eleven episodes of that. Uh, something called Instinct. Um, Once Upon a Time in Wonderland, he played uh, Jafar. So looks like he looks like he's. I mean, he's probably not starving. But yeah, one of them. We'll talk more about why uh, why we like this episode so much closer to the end. Um, let's talk about what actually happened in one of them. I have some notes, but like as I was watching it, I found myself just getting sucked in so much more easily than I have was when like we were watching like what Kate did and like all the best cowboys. And I was just like, while I was waiting for those episodes to end, I was like, oh man, I want to watch the next Saeed episode. And then I realized I wasn't, right. I wasn't taking any notes because I was like, I was just watching it and enjoying it. I was very very intently googling a lot of military stuff uh, as we spend a lot of time in the gulf war because i was like oh did, is that the right era like piece of equipment and they actually did a really good job in this episode all with, their with... budget for the iraq scenes went to their research because i can tell you i have notes about those scenes oh i was hoping you would <laughs> Finch, you asked me earlier did you give me this episode on purpose and and i was like no it's just a dumb fucking luck that you are a via effects producer and we're having a guest on an episode for which my only vivid memory prior to rewatching was the pretty horrible VFX transformation <laughs> yeah. of yeah. what I'm assuming is a parking lot in Honolulu into the side of a Kuwaiti highway. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember the old Command and Conquer video games from like <laughs> the oh, early 90s yes. and they had those yes. like full like fully acted videos with the terrible cgi like everything but the people was they were like shot in front of a green screen and that Isn't shot curry one of the talking heads in that i think yes. he is in one of them but that red alert i don't know anyways <laughs> but uh oh that first shot with the helicopter flying past i think felt like I was playing that video game <laughs> as like whatever a 12 year old kid on, on my parents computer because like those graphics were just horrendous like the yeah you can tell they they had a tv budget for some stuff that they wanted to do 
much <laughs> more uh, CG type stuff. The, um, the the not to jump too far ahead, but the the scene at the end when he when he's talking to our CIA friend uh, and they're in front of like the burning oil fields, which it's weird that they're pulling out and the oil fields are still on fire. Um, <laughs> But there was Roger Deakins, famous cinematographer. Never heard of was, him. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> See how many times I can talk about him in the in the span of this podcast. I uh, was I'm talking to another. I'm surprised that this is the first time you've mentioned Roger Deakins in the podcast. <laughs> Listen, there's a poster of him right behind my webcam, so I can just look into his eyes all the time. But uh, you know, he shot Jarhead, and Love Jarhead. Uh, there's some story about how another cinematographer was like, "Oh, you know, how was it shooting in Iraq?" And he's like, "We didn't." shoot in Iraq, we were Kuwait or whatever, you know, we shot, uh, you know, in Paramount Studio number seven or whatever, because, you know, he understood lighting and, you know, he, he has this vision and the oil field's on fire. And I feel like the guy who shot this episode was like, I want to do that. And then the budget department was like, you have $10. And he was like, okay. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah. There was some lighting things they could have probably done to make it look a little better, but yeah, make it make it darker. That hides a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, everything was very brightly lit. Like yeah. you could see everything. Yeah, yeah. So as uh, we've now just made abundantly clear, the episode opens in Kuwait during the uh, the first Gulf War. Saeed and some Republican Guard soldiers are shredding and burning. They're getting ready to surrender. Or <laughs> I was bail gonna say or... the command. Commander yells, keep shredding you cowards, which is exactly what I yell every time I am at Planet Fitness, and that's why I'm not allowed back at Planet Fitness. I thought it was funny that he yelled, keep shredding, and then they cut to a shot of a dude throwing stuff in a in a fire. Right. It's Indoors. Yeah. Like, keep shredding, like, or burning, or whatever. Yeah, you know, that was, that was good editing on their part. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they're, whatever they're getting rid of um, doesn't last long because uh, all hail the conquering heroes come bursting in the door. The best, biggest, and brightest military on the face of the planet kicks in the fucking door and they're just like, knock it off. No more shredding. What? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was like, what restraint for them to not just kick in the door and start blasting? Right. Like, Again, oh boy. This is a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> well, and so they, they kick in the door and do the most American thing uh, of just being like, where's your commander? Did you know one of these guys spoke English? And then they just yell it again louder. Uh, no, like, that's how you yep, speak that's, to. That's how when you're when you're deployed overseas and you don't speak the language, if you just increase your volume, that makes you easier to understand. Like, obviously, <laughs> slower and louder at all times. Yes. <laughs> I had uh, I had Team America, the song from that movie, just playing <laughs> yep. in my head that entire scene. We're here to free you, throws a grenade through the window. <laughs> uh, we, get, we get a very brief view of, uh, I don't know if you recognized him, uh, Finch, but uh, uh, Theo Rossi, uh, an actor um, who went on to uh, star in a show that Finch and I watched a lot of, Sons of Anarchy, went on to play Juice Ortiz in that, and then uh, he was in... Um, Luke Cage recently? Yes. Yeah, he was in Luke Cage. I, I recognized him, but I couldn't recall why I recognized him. Mm -hmm. And then when the credits popped up, I was like, wait, when was Theo Ra? Oh, uh, <laughs> it was like that dawning realization yeah. because I was like, that guy looks so familiar to me. Yes, I did notice him, yeah. but I was like, took when, me a minute. when they have a, a guest star come in that I like or I've seen before, but this time he didn't have much to do. He was basically just there to say lines. Like, there was yeah. not much else going on, but good to see him back in the day, back before Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. Saeed's immediately recruited to do some translating by... Yeah. <laughs> Did you recognize him, JP? Uh, uh, yeah, as... Well, so at first I yelled the Kurgan uh, from <laughs> no, the not, Highlanders. No, not that first. guy. What? No, the first guy that he talks to. The guy uh, who's, uh, who pulls him out of the room. You didn't recognize him, oh, did you? Oh, no. Not that, a clue. That was uh, not Colonel Likely Master Sergeant slash Sergeant Major uh, Sam Austin, who we just saw oh. in uh, What Kate Did just a few weeks ago. That was him? Yeah. Oh. So the, Yeah, you know, did not catch that at all. They're out there weaving that web, webbing yeah, it up. Yeah, that's wild. <laughs> well, he's a Sergeant First Class at the time, yes. so he's only got two ranks to go before he makes Sergeant Major and is working at a recruiting station. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So, nope, I totally Maybe missed it. That his, was him. His, uh, his career is stunted by his uh, his efforts here to en enlist a Republican Guardsman as a, <laughs> a translator. 
Yeah. Actually, it's interesting that you bring that up because I thought that, like, I remember thinking that is something Lost does pretty well in general is like they'll have a lot of these really minor characters in one person's story and they will pop up in a completely unrelated other person's story Mm -hmm. in like a totally different time in their life. And I did always enjoy, I didn't always catch them when I was watching it originally, but I did always enjoy being like, oh, it's that guy who did that thing like three episodes ago or five episodes ago or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. They were almost like, uh, almost like Easter eggs kind of like because because mm-hmm. it, it, they could have put anybody in this position of authority here but they decided it was like hey you know what we've already got a supporting character we've established as a military guy it, like let's get this guy back and yeah so sure enough at this time sergeant first class sam austin what do you guys want to talk about from here? We kind of covered the cold open. Let's should we just go through the the Gulf War timeline? Let's do that. Yeah. So yeah. So Saeed is trying to protect his commanding officer and gets gets caught in a, a bit of a lie, um, saying that you know he he left and that his commanding officer isn't actually his commanding officer. And then they they use Saeed as an interpreter to try and find out information about where a downed helicopter pilot is yes he, he his lie is exposed he tries to protect his commanding officer Tariq uh, by saying he bugged out already he went to a different town or whatever and then uh, sergeant austin is like oh yeah that other town uh, actually check it out here he is uh we know you're lying so help us out the the one thing that i wanted to because i'm just uh i'm gonna get on a lot of military stuff when saeed is is in the detainee area there's all sorts of guys with guns inside the fence detainee ops you don't have weapons inside the fence line you can have people with weapons outside the fence line but they're just like we got guns all over the place uh, it's probably because if they went past the wire they would actually just be in a topiary because they covered up whatever that was with shitty kuwaiti vfx because <laughs> they were yeah. probably just in an alley in honolulu somewhere yes that's true but yeah so like he goes in there and he's we see say uh, exhibiting uh, uh, an amount of loyalty here because he's reticent to push too hard against his commanding officer his commanding officer is just goading him too is just like what are you doing like you, you you're a dog you're a betra- you're a traitor uh, you should try and steal that guy's gun and kill everybody here uh, kill as many of these uh, american soldiers as you can before they kill you he's very much like exhibiting this like trying to flex some sort of authority over him and uh, and it seems like at first the site is actually kind of cowed by it and we and it, i think that speaks to his uh, his loyalty well and it's it's one of the like he's also covering for his officer because because the the guy is saying all these you know things that are pretty reckless to say when you're when you're uh, an enemy prisoner of war yeah or if they had a translator there that wasn't a republican guard who was cia or state department right. or whatever they'd be like uh he's actually telling you all to go fuck yourselves uh right <laughs> And now we're going to just start waterboarding you right. for the next nine hours. Right. Um, so, yeah, Saeed's trying, you know, even though he's not doing what his commander wants, he's still trying to help him out. Yeah. And, you know, he, he he's already seeing that what his how his commander is handling the situation is not the best course of action. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good yeah, it's a good way to get yourself shot. He he's like 23 in this scene, I think he says later on in the episode, right? Something like that. He's yeah. super he's pretty young. So I mean, you know, that's that's pretty intelligent for someone that young, mm-hmm. you know. I I mean, if if you've been basically trained to do one thing your entire life or not your entire life, but I mean, it's it sounds like Saeed's father was, you know, a, a war hero of sorts and so he probably basically lived in a very militarized lifestyle his whole life to like kind of go against his commanding officer like that, I feel like is is kind of telling about who he is as a character too yeah i don't know man my dad was in the navy and my childhood was just kind of like sergeant bilko so (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna take a quick break here so everybody can go rent sergeant bilko because nobody's seen that and uh... (laughs) oh man with steve martin it's not good The ring, ringing endorsement, um, but yeah. So, so between his, uh, between Saeed's inability to um, go against his commander uh, to protect, he's trying to protect him. He's, you know, whatever. He gets passed off from Sergeant Austin, who I'm assuming has better things to do. He's preparing his resume to work at the recruiting office. Um, they pass him <laughs> off to, uh, they pass him off to Mr. Krabs, right? Excuse me, the Kurgan. <laughs> 
also the uh, the head guard from uh, Shawshank State Penitentiary. Um, Clancy Clancy Brown has been in a thousand things, and I, I was uh, so I was out in Fort Meade. And we went to to Arlington National Cemetery, and I went one way, and my buddy Thompson went another way, and he met Clancy Brown at Arlington Cemetery, and I just like saw a bunch of gravestones and was sad. He had an arguably much better time <laughs> at Arlington than I did. I love Clancy Brown. I like everything. Like he's got such a recognizable voice. Yeah, um, he's got such a good mm-hmm. look. Like he like it's hard to like for me to think of him as a character actor because the second I look at him, I'm like Clancy Brown. That's Clancy Brown, and I'm yeah. not like that's whoever he is in this movie. Like, but I know that that doesn't happen to like everybody else. <laughs> like most right. people. No, just it, like, that's it, that it happens. To, it happens to everyone. <laughs> it happens to everyone. Even even his voice acting because he does a lot of voice acting. Yeah, he's done some DC stuff too. He was uh, he was a Surter in uh, Thor Ragnarok. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if I if I see a cartoon or or CGI character. And I hear his voice. I'm just like, that's Clancy that's Brown. Clancy like, Brown. yeah, even even, and, and even in his voice acting, because you're still, it, that's Clancy Brown, and I'm so happy he's here. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he's awesome. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, uh, this is another instance of uh, we talked about that. We've talked about this in previous episodes. I'm sure we're going to cover it again. This is an instance in which the the writers neglect to introduce us to this character uh, throughout the entire episode. We don't catch his name. Uh, I I know his name. It's Joe. Um, but he's this mysterious dude. And maybe the writers are like, we, we're going to. I th- I think I think chronologically we've seen him before podcast wise we haven't but i think if you're watching lost in order i think you've run into like a smart person yeah i think you've run into uh, one kelvin joe inman before yeah i mean and but even just within the context of this episode like you just guess he's cia or something of that effect and and not knowing his name probably is how he wants it to be if you if you're watching it with a with a trained eye like a true losty you will see that the video that he plays for saeed says property of the dia he's not cia he's dia defense intelligence agency he's military not civilian so stick that in your pipe and smoke it i'm just i stopped listening to you (laughs) and i'm trying to think of other things that dia could stand for Uh, and it's just dick and ass um Which is not good. You don't need a whole agency for that, but I'll come up with something else. Give me to the end of the episode. The, the thing about the DIA is that the only reason I even know it exists is because several years ago, I was writing a Cold War uh, scenario for a role-playing game that I was playing with some friends of mine, and I wanted to have more institutions that people could be part of instead of the CIA, and I researched and I was like, oh, the defense, the, it's it's a military version of the CIA. And after I did all that research, I, I was like, I don't know why these are two different things but it doesn't matter <laughs> to me anyway dia dharma is i perfect <laughs> well worth nailed well worth it. the weight <laughs> yep don't worry guys i got it in before the end of the episode we're, we're good we're good we're good you know what though you bring up a good point dharma is all right um, i i i uh <laughs> So 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 Joe uh, so Joe goads Saeed into like flipping the switch. Like Saeed is like he's gonna stand tall, he's gonna be loyal. But then Joe's like, uh, hey, FYI, uh, your boss uh, just like Saren gassed your entire village, and all of, everybody you knew and love is dead from Saren, and that's enough for Saeed. Saeed's like, okay, well now now I'm ready for a little. I'm I'm ready for a little vengeance. This guy was being a dick before, and now he's a chemical warfare terrorist dude, and I'm I'm done. Well, and that's. When he plays the tape, not to get too serious, but when there was like footage in Syria recently of like civilians getting gas, like I had seen some of that. And that's like horrific footage, which I don't ever want to see again. But then you have the two, well, three options. One, showing terrible footage, which they're not going to do on ABC. Right. Two, you can do a really bad reenactment, which just don't. Or three, you let a very talented actor just sort of stare off camera and let this wave of emotions come over him and that tells all the story mm-hmm. that you need and just mm-hmm. just in a moment like that you know exactly what he's watching on that screen uh which i i think really speaks to his his acting ability yeah for sure 
he um he goes through a real reliving of that moment right and we don't have to see what happened because we can see it all just in his face and it, yeah yeah he, he, he kills it there in that scene and throughout the whole episode really yep yeah yep so, so he goes from there. Kelvin Joe gives him a toolbox. He's like, here, here are some things for you to use on this guy. And it's like, it's about time. Let's get into some enhanced interrogation techniques. I literally, I wrote in my notes when he hands in the box. Well, after I wrote what's in the box. Right. <laughs> I wrote, it's probably a hammer. And then the first thing he fucking pulls out is a hammer, which made me so happy. <laughs> Brings that box in there, and, and uh, Tariq just like just continues to go to me. He's like, "Yeah, you're not gonna do anything to me. Whatever. You should take that. Uh, there's a bag in it. He's like, you should take that bag and tape it around your head and kill yourself so you can die with what little bit of honor you have left. And then he starts fiddling with the pliers, and he's like, you can't tell me what to do and i hate you now because of this tape that i just watched like it's it's go time and then this is another thing a good instance of the less is more type thing because he doesn't even touch him in the scene he, we cut away and then the next time we cut back to him say so he just exits the room and he hands the box back to kelvin joe and he's like here's your answer this helicopter pilot's already dead they buried him i can tell you where the body is and then he as he hands him the box back his hands are just covered in blood and it's like again they wouldn't show it on abc but like that was just as effective storytelling if not more effective than us uh, seeing him just wail on this dude. Uh, which brings me to uh, a new segment that I wanted to start for the show, uh, Torture Tool Time. Uh, so Finch, <laughs> as you are our guest for the day, put in the same situation, which torture tool would you use on your former commanding officer first? There was the there was the sticky thing, and then the clampy thing, and a hammer, and a bag. What, what what's your What's your go-to when it comes to torture tools? Uh, my go-to is usually like a piece of wood that you stick under Ooh, the fingernail no. and then like oh. Oh. push it in further. Like that one, that one just gets to me every time. So I think I'd have to use that. Yeah, okay. And this has been the final installment <laughs> of our segment torture tool time. Thanks for never coming back on the show, Finch. I'm not going to sleep well tonight. <laughs> the fuck, Finch? <laughs> God. He didn't pull that out of the box. That wasn't an option, Finch. You've been thinking I know, but about any, this. Anytime there's a torture scene and they use that, I instinctively, I'm like cringing right now. The audience can't see me, but like I am cringing just thinking about it. So if I have to do that to someone, that's Ugh. clearly the most effective method. Don't they do that in audition? Uh, not to belabor Ugh. this point, but um, I have memories of in an episode of Lost, which we have not seen yet, uh, Saeed casually sitting on the beach sharpening bits of bamboo because he's got some other answers he needs in that episode as well and he's gonna go after him <laughs> Oof. after after that after the, uh, the torturing whatever it's time to bail like we we've come in we've we've liberated kuwait we're not gonna help rebuild infrastructure or depose a, a violent and evil tyrant in the country next door we're just gonna mm. leave yeah it'll be fine <laughs> i'm sure it'll be okay like it'll be fine <laughs> but this is like this is this is the instance of the worst in my opinion the worst vfx in the episode when joe drops him off on the side of the highway joe takes a moment here and he um puts a little button on sort of side's journey in this few days here in the in the gulf war just like you know one day in the future you're gonna need uh you're gonna need an answer now you have the tools to be able to get that answer and then he gives him like 500 bucks and he's like hey see you later but why drop him off in the middle of nowhere what is the they can't because they, they can't go i'm sure they're i'm sure that it was the border or something Okay, so leave him wherever you left from. Hey, my man, he doesn't have a water source on him. He could just die of dehydration out there. No, he can't because he has $500 American. Oh, okay. I hope somebody with bag soda comes by. <laughs> hey, this is like 90 whatever. 91, 92, something like that. Yeah, like $500 is worth so much more than it is now. <laughs> Thanks, Obama. <laughs> Inflation has not run amok yet. I don't know. That's probably not true at all. Couple recessions I was, later. I was like seven. But I don't know. I don't know the value of a dollar then. Uh, let's see. Cause I think I think that's pretty much it yeah, for, that, for the Gulf War. That's about it. Um, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is a, the, yep. this is an instance of. Uh, I think we talked about this. Um, 
This is actually the only thing that you, me, and James agreed on from uh, all the best cowboys. It was like the flashback of this episode is a really great little 15, 20 minute short film here. Like this, right. is, this is a really good story. And that was like, unlike all the best cowboys where that was the only redeeming part of the episode. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, we're going to now talk about what happens on the island, which is also a great little short film. And these two things run parallel because we're getting the explanation of Saeed's, you know, where he acquired these tools when he's going to deal with uh, Henry Gale here. The first thing that happened is Michelle Rodriguez comes up and asks, where's Jack? <laughs> Again, everybody wants to know where fucking Jack is. Oh my God, D- do something for yourselves, people. Hey, hey, I got a note here about that same thing. Ana Lucia walks up and says, where's Jack? Said answers, why? <laughs> <laughs> Said knows what's up. Yeah, Said fucking gets, he's like, you don't need Jack. I'm here. I'm yeah. the man. You talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> This episode did remind me that, like, just anytime Jack shows up, he screws up things for everyone else. Like, everyone else has plans that they're doing, and Jack's like, no, fuck your plans. My plans are the only important ones. That and anytime anybody asks a question, the question is answered with another question. Almost always. Nobody just answers. (laughs) Like, like, this could have been a a much different episode if Ana Lucia walks up and he's like, where's Jack? And Saeed's like, uh, probably at the hatch, I think. And she's like, okay, and then she wanders (laughs) off. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but the the why, the answer to why is there's some woman traipsing around in the jungle uh, and Ana Lucia is like, let's go check it out. Okay, so I have a question about this woman, Danielle. Yeah. Who has a real sloppy machete tied around her belt. Yeah. Is her last name Russo? Yeah. Danielle Russo. Okay, because yeah, yes. Russo was mentioned later and I just had Russo question mark. I assumed that they were the same person, but you know. We're, we'll find out more about Danielle Russo uh, as we watch more season one episodes, but um, but yeah, chronological viewers are fairly familiar with her at this point. Okay. The two of them have, have some history and they go over a little bit here without being too like expository about it. Not, not right in this moment, but in the episode, like Jack and Locke talk a little bit about, they touch on the stuff that had happened between Saeed and uh, Danielle in the past, but uh, she's, she's caught someone. And so she was going to come find Saeed, but like Saeed came and found her and they're like, hey, come check it out. She passes off her rifle to him as like a sign of trust, which we come to find out in a couple of minutes. Doesn't really matter because she's got a fucking crossbow. Like, Hell yeah, she does. Like, like here, uh, in case you don't trust me, here's my rifle. I have a secret crossbow. <laughs> also, and I know it's just being nitpicky, but that rifle was awfully clean for one that's being traipsed around in the jungle all the time. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you know, if uh, maybe she's just, she's just, uh, she takes care of her weapon. Uh, you know, it's a tool. She's meticulous. Yeah. And it'll last you a long time if you take care of it. And she knows this. Or whatever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's a dude in a net. JP, you and I already met this dude. I've never met Henry Gale from Minnesota. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay, so you, you already know who Henry Gale is. Yeah, like, well, coming yes, into this episode. We've met the before. third episode we did was uh, Man Behind the Curtain, which is the first Ben-centric episode. Okay. <laughs> so we know okay. all kinds of shit about fucking Henry okay. Gale from Minnesota. <laughs> I was curious how, like, how much I could say. Just because yeah. I, you know, know who he is going into it. Yeah. But yes, okay. Good to this, know. Good I think this know. is his first, this is Ben's first appearance on the show, chronologically. Yeah, yeah like this is the first time you see him and you're like confused as how, like, yeah, who like, is this guy? Yeah, because like if you haven't seen Man Behind the Curtain, you're like, oh, there's some other, like, is he, like, you you don't legit know. Is he a, is he a survivor from some other crash? Is he another whatever? But uh, unlike the audience, uh, Saeed has the opportunity and the ability to figure it out. And he would probably, he probably would have just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to blame this on Danielle because uh, Saeed cuts him loose and he starts to run away. Saeed probably would have just like caught him and grabbed him and, and questioned him out here in the woods. Right. Had Danielle not shot him in the back with a crossbow. Yeah, there's a lot going on with that because like my man's been in a tent all or in a in a net all night. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be running anywhere super quick just from like right. being contorted. His legs are probably asleep. Like. Right. Uh, and her, while he's running, I better shoot him with a, a, a homemade crossbow that I'm so <laughs> accurate with. I can like get him between the collarbone, yeah, like just above the lung, misses uh, yeah. misses all the arteries and all the good stuff in the shoulder there, just like yeah. And it for some reason knocks him out, which maybe. Uh, well, I mean, uh, 
Ben's not the most physically robust character. Maybe he just uh... that's fair. Okay. <laughs> so he's been he's been shot, and he's they got to deal with that. So Saeed drags him back to the hatch. Oh, they didn't wrap the wound first. If you have something protruding from someone and you need to move them, you need to wrap and secure the thing that is poking out of them. Oh God! <laughs> the, welcome to JP complains about first aid. Another segment on Lost on Lost the podcast for your ears. This is not the first segment of this. You've covered this when they've done tourniquet. And well, I'm maybe he- someone's listening to this podcast fu- no, out of order. I'm here for it. I want you to continue to rag on them for their shit first aid because God's honest truth, every single one of them should. We should not still be watching these survivors 50 days after their crash. They should have all died of dehydration, starvation, various blood loss, uh, head trauma, heroin withdrawal. <laughs> but... Hey, the dehydration thing, they have plenty of cutaway shots of them filling up old plastic bottles in a disease-ridden waterfall in the middle of the jungle. So they get enough water, they just shit it all right back out. See, Finch fucking gets it. Thank you, Finch. Finch gets it. (laughs) Big Daddy John Locke and Jack don't show up in this episode for almost 15 whole minutes. And God, what a beautiful 15 minutes that was. My sweet baby boy, John Locke's just taking a midday nap. When Locke showed up, I was like, okay, yeah, I mean, like, Locke's a big deal. Like, but I remember that the principal cast isn't in every episode. Right. And I was like, oh, I fucking hope this is one of those episodes where I don't have to deal with Jack today. But Jack fucking wanders <laughs> in behind Locke, not 40 seconds later. I'm just like, oh, okay. This episode was going, <laughs> this episode was going so well. And now I'm going to have cutaways from Saeed to Jack and Locke arguing about... <laughs> yeah all, all progress just kind of comes to a halt whenever jack's around he's like hey i'm gonna save this dude's life no no that that's great now for some reason that makes my opinion on this situation matter more i feel like yeah no just keep with the band-aids my boy but just because Locke comes in and he's for it he's like he's like okay yeah saeed's got some questions he wants answered i don't know who this dude is and so Locke's like yeah fucking talk to him while he's injured and barely whatever yeah and then Jack wanders in, he gets all Geneva Convention, and it's just like, <laughs> I was really, really hoping that he would just come in and fix it and be like, okay, guys, I got other stuff to do, and then just like leave. <laughs> yeah. Is there is there a reason, I cannot for the life of me remember, but is there a reason why Jack is like considered the leader of everyone? Because like, there's so many other cast members who have real world leaders. skills. <laughs> Yes. Like, I don't remember why Jack just becomes the leader. He's a terrible leader. I, I, th- I think it's because nobody really steps up to do it. And so he just does it, it like in the pilot or whatever in the first few episodes. Oh, that's yeah. I think right after they crash or something, he's the only one who's like rescuing people. Or, I don't right. Know. Like he's a doctor. And, you know, that does that, that's a pretty important thing when you're trying to survive. Right. Like, he's already island. got some authority in the fact that he is around. Yeah, run around saving lives, and so that automatically in pretty much everybody else's eyes puts him at yeah. the top of the heap. And so I think he, I mean, like he's so like so often is he a bad leader? But like, <laughs> there's a part of his broken psyche that's like, I'm glad that everybody looks to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just want anyone to turn to him and be like, Jack, you need to learn to shut the fuck up when adults is talking, because he just. Ugh. Everything comes to a screeching halt when he just decides this is this is the moral hill I'm gonna die on for yeah, fucking, I made that fucking no I reason. Made that same fucking note. Locke accuses Jack of raising an army. He's like, "You're raising an army," and uh, and the only reason to raise an army is if you're uh, going to war. Uh, this and this is part of war. Like Locke is like trying to get him to get on board with what what Saeed's doing. Mm-hmm. I and mean, this is just a TV show, obviously. <laughs> like nobody here is advocating torture as like a real life thing. No. But like as a story element in a <laughs> crazy island mystery show, yeah, okay, fine. But yeah, Locke says, uh, okay, well, yeah, you're the one raising an army. So, but you're gonna fight against these others according to a set of a moral code that you've put together. Like these, like these people are already kidnapping pregnant women they're they're not right. above hanging charlie in the jungle yeah. like collateral damage stuff like that like jack you're up on this high road your enemy if this is if you are going to war with these people they're not going to adhere to the same code that you are so what are you right. doing <laughs> yeah i i did 
I just put in my notes when Jack starts treating him because we haven't at this point hadn't got into a lot of Saeed's backstory yet with, mm-hmm. the, with the torture and he says he just says do not untie him and I just out loud said fuck yeah <laughs> like that's one of those things that oh, yeah. when you're watching a really stupid character in, in a horror movie and they do the thing where you're like no don't go in the room don't untie them don't flip the switch and you fi- you have a character with the voice of reason don't untie him because I don't trust him I'm like fuck yeah alright we yeah. have a, a character that's written like a real person yeah I have I have this uh, this note for that same instance just Saeed giving out the orders here he's ice cold like he has yeah. every confidence in the things that he is telling the other people to do whether or not they actually end up listening to him but he knows like this is the right course of action don't untie him and it, his confidence is palpable mm-hmm. Jack patches up uh, <laughs> with the, what the fucking Henry Gale um <laughs> But uh, then Locke and Saeed come up with a little little side plan for Saeed to start getting some answers uh, out of our new friend. They say, oh, we'll let him recover in the armory. But Saeed locks himself inside and is going to... He will ask the questions. <laughs> and starts to interrogate uh, Ben, which is a pretty wild fucking scene. Oh, man. I, I made a specific note of this. His delivery of the line. Like, they go back and forth a little bit. Uh, he, like, asks him a question or two, and Ben says, or Henry says something like, you, you asking me all these questions? I don't get to know who you are. And, and Saeed flat out delivers this night, and Navy and Andrews just kills this delivery of it. You want to know who I am? My name is Saeed Jarrah, and I am a torturer. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I legit had a moment of just chill. I was like, fuck. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and and with, uh, sorry not to get all military in again, but like, he goes into this room to interrogate this guy, and his knife little scabbard is empty like that's proper like detainee like no if i'm gonna beat the shit out of this guy but i'm not gonna have anything on me that he can use against me right right right. Uh, just just a good art direction thing the scene is so good and we've already mentioned multiple times how good navy and andrews is throughout this episode yeah but michael emerson's first appearance on the show here really giving him something to work off of like Mm -hmm. you put a lesser actor in here as henry gale and this is just like instead of turning into an interesting character scene becomes just a big bully beating the shit out of some guy they found in the woods and it's not that and that's just as much to do with Michael Emerson. He he gives like when uh, Saeed asks him a question he gives an answer. It's very like conversational but the way Michael Emerson delivers the conversational part of the line also feels rehearsed like I totally get why Saeed doesn't believe his answers mm-hmm. you know. Well it he, he starts giving these answers that are so insane. Exactly. Like, ah, uh, we, we crashed here. You could just say, oh, we're in a plane crash. How'd you get here? Hot air balloon. What the fuck? Like, <laughs> but, I mean, he does a great job at making this fake identity so specific mm-hmm. that it's like, well, this might be real, but Saeed keeps pushing him. Like, no, give me the details on it. But Ben has thought about, he's either the best improv person ever or he's he's like taking some time to think about this false identity well and that's that's what i think it was is that he basically like put together a full dossier on henry gale and so ben like memorized everything so he's able to conversationally answer these questions but like it does feel rehearsed to me like michael Emerson does a, a good job of being a quote bad actor yes yes that's yeah <laughs> michael emerson convinces us that henry is not as slick as michael Emerson mm-hmm. is. <laughs> yes, yes. We saw in Man Behind the Curtain already several weeks ago what a, a world-class manipulator Ben can be. Oh, yeah, big time. And I think, if I'm remembering correctly, he hits the ground running here with excellent Ben quality manipulation. <laughs> yeah. If I'm remembering correctly. I, I could be misremembering this, but I I think that I think it, it gets real wild. The the end of season two, like this is this is about the midpoint of season two. Season two in general is very good, but the second half of it going into season three, like there was a reason why season three I think had so much hype going into it because season two was just like this rising comet of like 
escalation. Yeah, compelling storytelling. Then we get into season three, and it like holds there for a little bit, <laughs> and, then, and then fucking craters and goes all over the place before it picks up again near the end of season three. Yeah. Season two is already really entertaining. And then when you add Michael Emerson into it, it's just, it's a shot in the arm in something that didn't even need it. Sure. I could go on yeah. forever about Michael Emerson. Yeah. But we should talk about something else. Or we should finish talking about the armory so we can get to my favorite storyline of the episode the C plot between oh, Sawyer for sure. and Hurley. For fuck's sake. <laughs> All right. So. Saeed slaps him around a little bit. Slap, um, slap, slap, John slap. and Jack are having a discussion about this on the outside of the door. Jack's real not happy about it. So he is threatening John, who knows the door combination, with letting the, the hatch timer run out if he doesn't. And he's got uh, those real crazy eyes when he's threatening to let that go. Like, holy fuck. You want to get nuts? That's, Let's get nuts. That's exactly what I've written down here. Do you want to get nuts? <laughs> Let's get nuts. <laughs> Because he, he, in just that one moment, is so fucking maniacal. His wild, sweaty <laughs> eyes, just like, oh, man. I was like, all right, here, here's the unhinged Jack that nobody ever gets yes. to see. If we would have saw this Jack on the beach on day one, they would have been like, uh, we should let him go. Drown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, oh my God. Obvious, like, yeah, Locke, Locke still very much cares about the button and Jack is like, you know what? I don't give a fuck about the button anymore. It's time for Jack's army and I'm not listening to the button anymore. So let me in so I can pull Saeed off of Henry Gale because I can hear him in there and he's knocking the dust off of him. Yeah, messing him up pretty bad. And Locke, the other side of this maniacal coin, just like still really, really attached to this button, running totally on faith. No idea what the button does. Just knows he doesn't want to let it go. And he caves. He's like, okay, he opens the door for him and he goes to punch in the button, but he doesn't quite get there time oh shit yeah oh, so apparently the countdown's sort of just like a general like if you can also get it before the like stargate hieroglyphs show up like then you're good like because because the, the numbers run out and then some symbols start showing up and he's like ah, i'm just gonna t- see if this uh works anyways and it does it like cancels it out so I mean, it's it's a commitment to the structure of it like he goes in there he's like okay well i'm gonna still finish punching in the sequence and hope it works like if it were me if i would have got over there and i would have been four eight sixteen six like he he has to back up because he types it wrong and that if, I, if that was me at that computer four eight sixteen and then i look up and the timer's up and i'm like all right well i fucking missed it and then i would have stopped yeah <laughs> then you would have written in four twenty sixty nine and see if the word <laughs> nice comes up nice <laughs> But yeah, that, that pretty much wraps up our oh, hatch I, adventure, I do does it not? Make one last mention. Part, part of Saeed's tactics when he's in there, he exhibits a moment of vulnerability. Henry Gale punches a button there talking about, did you lose somebody? And and he starts yeah. talking about the shovelfuls and stuff like that. And I, and I wrote here, I was like, this is a horrible time for you to have this moment of therapy, dude. But he uses it. He he, he swing, he like rides that pendulum of reliving Shannon's death and just like he uses it to like pound into Henry Gale with the, the force of a fucking battering ram. Yeah, like I, I I, can't prove that any of that other stuff is a lie, but I know you saying that you buried your wife is a fucking lie. Yeah. Yeah, because because I just buried Shannon, right? And I and I fucking know I I know heartbreak, and you don't. Yeah. So I just wanted to make mention of that, even though I mean, yeah, yeah. Shannon got fucking iced, so like that happens. Yeah. But mm-hmm. it hurt our man. It hurt Saeed, which is an example of fridging here. Even though I know that uh, Shannon had a long, well, not a long, but she had her own through story arc here. But then like Shannon dying in whatever episode she ends up dying in, we haven't seen it yet. It just ends up going to serve Saeed's emotional path which is something we should hopefully be shying away from now in more enlightened and modern times yeah um i just to to wrap up the storyline with say we we end with him and charlie sitting on the beach just having a a bit of a conversation charlie kind of has this look on his face to me like i didn't realize we were friends But I'm, I'm really glad that Saeed brings up this whole thing about, like, the others, they've forgotten, you know, what the others are capable of. I mean, they strung you up, Charlie, by your neck to die. And it, it's that whole, like, the Fast and Furious, Jason Statham kills Han. And then, like, two movies later, Jason Statham's just, like, part of the team. And he's at the family barbecue or whatever. But Saeed's like, dude, they just a few weeks ago tried to murder you. Yeah. You were hanging by your neck mm-hmm. dead. Yeah. And that's something that the audience might forget about, but it's important for the continuity of these characters 
characters, if yeah. you want them to be grounded and real, that they don't forget that kind of thing. And I, I really appreciated that. It's another example of, like I was saying before, Locke and Jack giving out a little bit of like re-exposition about Saeed and Danielle's relationship. This is another instance here where they're, the writers are reintroducing the audience to something that may have been lost into the memory of the viewer without it just right. being some sort of information dump. And yeah, just speaks yeah. to, I think, a, a solidly uh, well-written script. Yeah, and I think that helps because this is when TV was 22 episodes, 20, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So like, if you think about it, this is what midway into season two ish or it's it's 14 right so it's a little bit past midway so i mean there's a lot of stuff that a lot of episodes that have probably happened in between all these events and and if you think about it these were all these events happened you know 14 weeks ago in the mind of the viewer you know right actually the moment that he's speaking about charlie getting strung up by ethan we saw that episode that happens in all the best cowboys have daddy issues and that was season one episode 11 yeah so like this is that's actually like in the viewer's eye probably close to a year right it's days for the survivors but the audience at home yeah it's like you may have forgotten remember when ethan dragged charlie into the woods and hanged him and then kidnapped claire for the 900 million Time, <laughs> do we have to bring her up um anyways but yeah like i was saying like it, it speaks to i think a, a pretty well written script save for the right. eight pages that they had to add because apparently the script wasn't long enough <laughs> yep on to c plot Oh, is that where that came from? I didn't even I, know no, that. I, was... I don't know why this is in there because it's it's obviously it has to be. It, it, it's just it's a comic relief thing because I think without some sort of something like mm-hmm. this, this episode's kind of fucking dark. Yeah. Well, again, this just it's got a dark resolution. Uh, exactly. Uh, a fucking serial killer. Like he's out there murdering poor defenseless little frogs. It's yeah, just that's... it. It's just to show that Sawyer is needlessly a dick to everyone and everything yeah and the only time that he changes that tack is when he needs something he, he exactly takes a moment to stop ragging on hurley only just briefly enough because he's like oh if i keep being a douchebag to hurley i'm not gonna get the help i need to get rid of this frog that that i did appreciate that hurley like very quickly stands up for himself mm-hmm. yeah you know it's it's not like scene after scene of him you know very quick he's like fine i'm fat fuck you like yeah. go tell everybody i'm not gonna sit here and be your your emotional punching bag yeah. he's He's pretty resilient in that regard. Yeah. Hurley just, yeah, finding confidence and uh, even with his happy-go-lucky persona throughout showing humanity, like stuff does get to him, but, mm-hmm. you know, he's not going to let Sawyer get to him forever. There's one other thing I wanted to mention in this C-plot. Um, uh, when Sawyer walks up to Hurley and he spots him with the with the food stash, the frog goes off. The, it makes the noise. Sawyer whips around and grabs for his <laughs> pistol tucked into the back of his fucking jeans. Like, it's, yep. it's a tree frog. It's a it's a tree frog. We, we find, like, in the audience's mind, there's no way that this thing is bigger than the palm of your hand. And then lo and behold, we find out later that, yeah, the frog is exactly as small as we all imagine. Sawyer's going to fucking shoot him. Like, he's just going to run to the jungle with a pistol. Right. And just, it's like, pew, pew, pew. Like... Pew, pew, pew. Uh, the reason that Sawyer is sleeping so poorly has nothing to do with this frog and has everything to do that his his little hut that he has on the beach, which is actually, it looks pretty pretty well it's constructed. A, yeah, like He's still just sleeping on the sand. You need to get your body off of the ground so that your, your body heat isn't just going into the cold sand at night. You need to create some sort of barrier, you know, like yeah. a thermal barrier. Yeah. This is Survival 101, folks. Yeah. Also, he's sleeping in the middle of the day. Excellent it's pretty clearly point. like Everybody the middle of day. Everybody else is out there working. Jin, he, Jin walks by with a fishing net. Like, on the, like Jin has found a way to be constructive. And Sawyer's just still fucking napping the day away. Sawyer does the exact same thing. Jin doesn't understand him, so he asks a question louder and slower. <laughs> Guys, Sawyer, Sawyer is just America. Yeah. I don't remember when Jin starts to, like, his, his uh, grasp of the English language starts to, like, broaden. But I, I, in that moment, I was just imagining to myself, I was like, no, he's totally fluent in English. He's just ignoring Sawyer. <laughs> 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 Fuck. Fucking hate. Uh, no English. Uh, Sorry. Yes. So, yeah, on the whole, I think um, I think we liked it, right? We, we liked it. Yeah. Yeah, this is yep. a real good episode. So, uh, hats off to uh, hats off to the big three: yeah. Damon Lindelof, Carlton Cuse, and Stephen Williams for putting together um, a very very solid episode uh, and treating one of uh, the fan favorites with uh, with care. You could have done something like this backstory and done it poorly, and they did not. So, yeah, totally. 
Um, before we get into loss on loss, I'm going to complain about cinematography for a minute. Oh, yes, um, yes, we can yes, cut yes. this for time nope. if, if needed. We'll cut the rest of the episode and leave this 40 seconds here. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, JP talks about cinematography. The scene with uh, Danielle and Saeed right before they go to get Ben out of the net. They're, they're doing a, a really nice thing where they're giving him sort of a hard kicker light and it's all natural. And then they're using that same light blocked by the tree as her key. Um, the sun is really low in the sky and it's another one of those where they, they have a lot of canopy in this in this show, which helps a lot for, for just general ambience. But th- they're also against the clock with a lot of daylight because they were shooting a lot of the show on location and they, that was a very good use of some natural light that's low in the sky but it's very hard to shoot with because your time is limited there's a lot of green backlight on uh not on characters but on walls in this episode and the the scene with ben and saeed with the interrogation and saeed and Locke when they're talking about uh going into the armory for the interrogation because they're doing interiors the cinematographer is able to shape some really nice light based on the eye light it looks like they were using like a four bank kino or some sort of strip light and it was just nice to see that they're they're able to do a lot more dramatic lighting when they're indoors that's it i was trying to look up the name of the cinematographer for this episode while you were talking there roger deacons he ain't but he's doing yeoman's job with uh with all this uh all this stuff that you just said (laughs) yeah but that first ac there's a shot again of john Locke where he like leans in a little bit and it rolls out of focus but it rolls back in real quick and i'm just like this motherfucker if if you if you mention this in 10 more episodes i think you and i have to agree that maybe this is a stylistic choice (laughs) (laughs) or we don't we can just continue to dunk on the ac (laughs) That's what I said about all my films in college. Troy would be like, this is out of focus. And be like, it's a stylistic <laughs> choice, dude. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, boy. Uh, um, let's let's get into Lost MVP and Lost Forever. Lost MVP is our uh, our favorite character of the episode, uh, regardless of anything else they've done in any other episode, anything you might know about them this 45 minutes. Finch, who was your Lost MVP? I mean, for this episode, it's Saeed just the acting everything came together really well and so yeah i mean it was his story so that's probably the obvious answer but, but i would you just know, you don't have to get clever with it too like you, right yeah you, that's a it's a super good episode yeah and, yeah. and, 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 and it and it was very much on his shoulders for a lot of lot of stuff and mm-hmm. and it went really well and he killed it yeah no doubt yeah uh, Busher, your lost MVP. I, I think I got to go with my lost MVP. Is actually, while I could very easily say Saeed just like finished it, I want to give Henry Gale his props here. Yeah, big time. There's plenty to be said about monologuing and, and being able to perform on your own, but like real great acting comes with a great partner. And the, the scene between Saeed and Henry Gale it wouldn't be nearly as good if one of them was somebody else, if it wasn't Navy Andrews, if it wasn't uh, Michael Emerson. So a lost MVP uh, this week for me has got to go to Henry Gale. Uh, also, uh, honorable mention to Kate for uh, not appearing in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God damn it, Kate. Uh, JP, what about you? Uh, what do you got for a lost MVP? Who the fuck do you think it is? It is one gallon of Dharma Initiative ranch dressing. <laughs> Are you trying to survive on a desert island? Gallon of Dharma Initiative ranch dressing. Do you need an urn for your grandmother? Dharma Initiative ranch dressing. Are you looking for something to dip your deep fried cinder block into? Dharma Initiative ranch dressing. Now in gallon size. <laughs> we'll keep at room temperature for seven years. <laughs> what the fuck? I want that ranch dressing that's some wild shit it doesn't need to take up room in my refrigerator anymore that's some cool shit <laughs> did uh, anybody get a decent look at what hurley was du- dunking in the uh, the ranch i thought it was a mango yeah it was or something was it a like Cheeto? that i don't know finch who is your lost forever the person who we would be fine with them going away forever <laughs> Honestly, I know people love him, but Sawyer, I just, I, yeah, I don't, I don't need him bringing everything down constantly. Yeah, there's there's a big difference between like, okay, I caught this frog, I'm gonna throw it on the ground and stomp on it, and just squishing it in oh. your hands. That's some fucking psychopath yeah. stuff. You guys, dude. you guys got up my ass for wanting to stick pieces of wood in people's <laughs> fingernails. At least I'm not squishing innocent tree frogs. Yeah, one one doesn't like lessen the other. Finch, you're still a monster. <laughs> Uh, Busher lost forever. I kind of like she, she didn't do anything wrong, I guess. But Rousseau, 
Yeah. I guess. Because, like, her... I, just, eh, I don't know. Like, she just comes in, catches a human in a net, shoots him with an arrow, and says, now you deal with right. it. Like I, like, I know that this is kind of, like, classic Danielle with her traps and her weapons. Mm. But, like, fuck. Out here trapping humans and makeshift crossbow and just like, uh, you're too weird. Get, get me to Saeed. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so JP uh, lost forever. Um, it's not so much that I disliked it. I just think that they are lost forever. Are Jack's sleeves? Uh, he's too <laughs> furious for sleeves in this episode. Walks in like goddamn hacksaw Jim Duggan, just like, "Hey guys, this is my beach vibe that I'm giving off now. I don't have sleeves on this shirt, so they're just lost. They're lost forever." He's probably got pants that zip off into shorts too. How dare you? Don't don't you even say a bad thing about zip off pants? Because I no. Nah, they're just it's just gonna be jorts and oh, the sleeveless button-up oh, yes. shirts i wish that they were on a plane with a levi's shipment and the only kind of pants that anybody <laughs> can wear are jeans and they they're like this it's too hot and everybody just is wearing cut-off jeans every single person <laughs> if only oh, that's, good. that's Burn, very good let's do burning questions jp did you have a burning question did you have something that was a uh, question that was asked by this episode th- that was not answered that you hope is answered sometime in the future i do so it's a real minor thing that's not really drawn much attention to when we're just sort of adventuring around the hatch there's like a lot of decor uh that's going on but there was a wall that looks like the whole wall top to bottom was like drawn by children yeah yeah and that's the first time i've seen that so there's like all this technology and all this like sort of like bunker vibe to it but then there's like this huge wall of just children's drawings mm-hmm. and i just said what the fuck is this either that or john is just a real bad artist but um i i just i saw that and instantly wanted to know more about what happened there yeah uh finch what about you do you have a burning question why a balloon like, why did yeah. he choose to around the world in 80 days his story, like, or whatever? Like, <laughs> like I, I, I know he was going with the eccentric rich guy story, but a balloon? I you to a race around the world! <laughs> <laughs> Christ, yeah. Oh. How did you get here? The Red Baron's biplane! <laughs> Now I just wish he was wearing a scarf too to go along with that story, like yes, and a leather jacket, launch pad, McQuack's outfit from Ducktales. Oh yes, <laughs> fuck yeah! Um, all right, that's pretty much it, I guess. Um, yeah. Thank you for coming on the show, Josh. Uh, we will talk to you again in the future for sure. If you want to come back, we loved having you this time. It was it was very enjoyable. I'd love to be back. Excellent. Uh, oh, yeah. If, uh, if you're at the home or trying to be lost with us, please check out our next episode. We'll be watching season two, episode 22 for the road. Thank you for listening to this episode of Lost on Lost. I'm Adam. I'm JP. Do you have any idea what's going on on this show? Uh, no. Me neither. Lost on Lost is produced and edited by Adam Busher and J.P. Russell. Recorded on location in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and Los Angeles, California. Our show is hosted at Podbean. Find us there or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks to Danny Schmitz of Lost in a Name for our theme music. Lostpedia and the community of contributors there. Random.org for creating the watch order. Check out our Facebook page, Lost on Lost, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at Lost on Lost 1. Don't follow those jerks at Lost on Lost 2. You can also email us at wearelostonlost at gmail.com. If you like what we're getting into here, buy us a coffee at coffee.com slash we are lost on lost. That's ko-fi.com slash we are lost on lost. 